Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young boy? Oh, that's easy. Uh, I used to laugh at the um, the FedEx work. I think Ali and Gargano used to produce that back in the 80s. Um, it was hilarious work where, you know, it's such a different world today about what, you know, I would wonder what they would do today. But it was just very comical. I thought it was hilarious. And um, if any of your listeners care to look up Ali and Gargano FedEx, it's just some hilarious campaigns they made um, back in the 80s. And I thought advertising would be a really fun career. I was thinking that in my... Uh, in like elementary school. Um, so that was probably the biggest one for sure. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show... I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Kevin Keith, the chief brand officer for Orange Theory Fitness, the 12-year-old high-growth brand founded in Boca Raton, Florida by Ellen Latham. After Ms. Latham lost her job at a high-end spa, she decided to start her own practice, which led to Orange Theory Fitness, or OTF as members call it. OTF has one of the most inspiring brand purposes to help people live longer, more vibrant lives. And by all counts, it seems to be doing that with its science-based, performance-oriented, one-hour workouts. OTF has about a million members, 1,480 studios in 50 states and 26 countries, and does more than a billion dollars in system-wide revenue. Orange Theory is a franchise model. My guest Kevin has been Chief Brand Officer for five years. His career path is rich in agency experiences with time at Draft FCB, Lowen Partners, Ogilvy, and JWT. Kevin also did time on the client side at Coca-Cola and UPS. A self-described lover of creatively-minded people and places, this is my conversation with a very fit Kevin Keith. Kevin, welcome to the CMO Podcast. Now, you folks at Orange Theory are all about your members. So I thought I would start this podcast with a few questions from one of your most devoted members, my daughter, Claire. She's been a regular for five years, all the way through COVID. So she recorded a few questions for you. So we're going to start with one of your members. So here's Claire. Oh, okay. I love it. Hi, Kevin. I'm Claire. I'm Jim's daughter. And as you can see, I just got home from my daily Orange Theory workout. I'm a very big fan. Been a member since uh, 2017. Um, and I'm wondering what your favorite type of workout is, endurance, strength, or power, and why? All right, Kevin, we're getting personal here. What's your workout? I love, absolutely love doing an endurance workout, honestly. You know, a little secret here, Jim, I actually do sneak out. I lift weights in the gym, but I go to Orange Theory several times a week. And when I go there, I'm there to, for endurance. I, I love it when we have an endurance day, honestly. That's flat out my favorite. Do you do all three or you pretty much do endurance? I do all three. And, and truthfully, that's, that's the best way from a health perspective to look at it. But, um, you know, I don't start on the treadmill like a lot of people do. I, you know, a lot of people, our members get really hyper about being on the, the treadmill first. 
I'm happy to start wherever they put me. And um, I'm just excited when it's time to get out there and sprint on the treadmill or on the rower. All right, here's Claire with a second question. A little bit more of a thoughtful one here. Okay. So here's Claire. The workouts at Orange Theory are awesome, but the best part are the people who work there. The front desk staff, the coaches, everyone is so friendly, so encouraging. And I'm just wondering how you guys hire and retain such amazing people. Excellent question. Kevin, that's a good place to start. Yeah, and it's actually my, my favorite question because at the end of the day, you know, and we've seen this, right, Jim, in the past couple of years with fitness being really at the fore with, with COVID impacting everything globally and particularly our category, digital fitness, at-home fitness was going to be, you know, we're apparently we're just going to stay at home, watch Netflix and work out and never leave our homes. But um, this whole thing about human nature came into play, you know, that in the community with Orange Surge, really the thing that we heard loud and clear was what people wanted and missed the most. And and truthfully, hiring people, as we all know, is really difficult today, but we actually attract people who really believe in what we're all about. Um, you've talked about this many times, and, and I'm a, a big believer in brand purpose. So we try and attract people who have a passion for fitness, but also a passion for what we're trying to do with our member to really transform their lives. So, you know, we're all, most of our studios are individually owned and operated, but we all share a common purpose. So we really try and guide them in terms of not, we can't hire for them, but we give them guidelines in terms of what kind of people we're looking for. And honestly, the people who, we've had people who actually were former members who became actually employees of the studio. Uh, we've had former members who became employees at our headquarters in, in Florida. So um, honestly, it's, it's passion and really having a passion for what we're doing. Any tips on building such a unified culture in a franchise model? I mean, that's not easy, right? Not at all. And honestly, with my background, I've had a lot of command control positions as of you. But this is the opposite, and it's probably the most challenging one in my whole career, just because you do have not just one internal customer, you have 1,500 internal customers, and trying to get them all to sing off the same song sheet and really get excited about um, what we're trying to achieve, or if there's a, a program or a campaign we're trying to rally around, you know, getting them really uh, excited about that is paramount. And what we try and do is really, we do the typical webinar thing, but we, we're trying to really change and adapt. You know, people are used to, uh, you know, Facebook and communicating in, in ways that are very real time. So we're trying, you know, initiatives around our communications that get them excited. But typically, no matter how we communicate to our franchisees, so they're very busy, it's the power of the idea. Um, some of our most successful campaigns and initiatives are just big ideas that they had a blast executing in the studio. So we try and really get a cross-functional team at headquarters to really share what the idea is all about. Uh, November was a recent campaign we did back in last November, really centered around um, really celebrating new people because they're really, they think you have to get fit to come to Orange Theory, which is crazy. So it was really a whole program and a month long program centered around that. So I think it's just the strength of the idea gets the, is what unifies us and also our purpose. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a lot more in a bit. In a bit. Now, you've been chief brand officer at Orange Theory Fitness for about five years. Mm -hmm. And this is the longest you have ever been <laughs> in a role with a company in your career. So I'd like you to start, Kevin. What is it about this company or this role that is so sticky for you? Mm. Well, Jim, I actually was a member first. So I, I was a member of Orange Theory. Um, this is, I think I've been a member almost coming up on seven and a half years. And I was, like your daughter, incredibly um, passionate about Orange Theory. It really helped trans transform my health and my wellness personally. And uh, I got a recruiter call. It, it, literally, it's been, like you said, it's about five years ago now. Uh, I actually live in Atlanta, and I commute down to Florida to our headquarters in Boca Raton. And I've been doing that for, as you said, five years. 
what keeps me getting on that plane? You know, my CEO, David Long, asked me all the time. He's like, you still in this? You still in this? Um, and I said, as long as I can still make a difference, I'm absolutely into it. Um, but I, I believe in our purpose. I believe in the business model. Um, but mostly, I love our people. Uh, we have an amazing culture. And it's, it's funny, you know, we're, we're 11 years young now. We celebrated our 10th anniversary last year. But just the, the idea of really being able to transform people's lives, do something that I feel like is for good. Um, I've worked on a number of brands, you know, where it probably wasn't the best thing for people, but it actually made a lot of money. But this is actually the opposite. Actually, it's both. We're actually driving a lot of economic value for, for our owners, um, providing a lot of opportunity for coaches and staff that are working for those owners and giving them opportunity. Um, but most importantly, really transforming, you know, millions of lives um, that, that I read letters every day. So it's definitely something that has kept me going. And then just the, the technology and the challenges uh, about getting innovative ideas executed through technology and using that, the data that we're collecting to actually motivate members is pretty exciting. What got you through COVID? I mean, is it the, the team, the spirit? Because you were pretty innovative when COVID hit. I know you closed for a while, but you, you offered digital workouts and connections with your members. So what, what got you through that so successfully? Because I... I've, I've, I've seen your CEO speak, and he said in many, many of your franchise locations, businesses back to pre-COVID levels, which is amazing. That's correct. And um, I would say a lot of vodka and sleepless nights, but um, <laughs> it was not easy for everybody, right? You know, we all had a lot of challenges, but, you know, particularly for us, um, I think what got us through is, is the feedback from the members. So as you mentioned, we quickly pivoted and um, started producing Orange Theory at Home and publishing it on YouTube, you know, instantly every day, just like we would do in our studios. And it was a, a, a vast collaboration between the brand team and the fitness team. So we, we pivoted that and the, the feedback was from the, from the onset was tremendous. And we realized that we weren't just doing, a, you know, a nice service for people while we were trying to wait through this, this tragedy and this, this situation unfolding. We realized we were, we were a lifeline. And um, to me, that really inspired me. And um, despite all the challenges, all the, you know, the internal complications, and we all saw the, the myriad um, uh, legislations and, and rules, you know, county to county, state to state, it was really a very challenging. But at the very end of the day, seeing that it was really making a difference for people and continued to and we're really giving them a lifeline really inspired me and, and everyone on the team. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So you have a pretty unusual path into Orange Theory. You were a member, <laughs> as you said, and a devoted member, and then you became chief brand officer. What was your impression of the culture and the company as a member? And did that change at all when you came inside at a very high level? It did. You know, I was obviously very attached to the brand. I didn't really know the company culture, but I loved the, you know, the community culture and the idea that... Um, it brought in such a diverse group of people into one room to experience something together um, with everybody staring at their screens and being diffused and, you know, and, uh, you know, seemingly being connected, but really not truthfully. I just love the idea of just being able to take my myself to the studio, meet with some people, work as hard as I could for an hour, share an experience, feel like I'm doing something good for me and, uh, and getting on with my day. 
Um, but, but if I wasn't showing up, I would get a call from my coach or a text. So I love the accountability. So that to me, it was very important from a brand standpoint though, when I actually joined the company and started working, you know, with the executive team, it was very different. It was, it was seeing it from the, uh, the inside view. And it was really surprising just the, the innovation and just the passion for constantly pushing the envelope to see how far we could go with this brand to actually create the experience and make it better and better. Um, one of my first challenges and I challenged our, our team was how do we make sure this is never a fad? This is something that we build on and we can grow globally. Um, and I was definitely proven uh, that that was not a concern, not that we ever take our eye off the ball on that area, but just the fact that at the very end of the day, you know, our, our staff is really driven to, to help people and to make a difference and not just be uh, another uh, category or brand in a sea of fitness, but really doing things that are going to, you know, not technology for technology's sake and not innovating new things just to innovate, but really what do the members need and what are they not asking for and how can you provide that to them? So um, to me, that, that culture of innovation and constantly trying to push the envelope has been really uh, exciting. And we, uh, you know, like you said, five years on, you know, I've seen, you know, a very young company grow up. So a lot of things that we had years ago, there were a little bit of a scotch tape and chewing gum. We've hardened and we've really grown up as a, as a company and also as a, as a technology company, really uh, advancing the technology, the data, uh, the personalization. A lot of the things that are coming online in the, in the coming year are going to be mind blowing. Um, and I'm just super excited to be a part of it. Looking forward to that. How do you make sure that you're not a fad? I mean, what, what are your, you're innovating, you're not complacent, you, you went through all that, but. In your category, more than many, things come and go, and it's difficult right. to differentiate. Peloton's in the news a lot these days with some of their struggles. Uh, you've had some pretty remarkable growth, so, so far, so good. But what kinds of things do you talk about as a leadership team to be sure that you're building a sustain, sustainably growing brand and that you avoid becoming you know, a, a fad? Right. Which, which you certainly are not now. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Jim, it's relevance. Like if we're relevant, mm -hmm. we will always stay at the fore. And the way we, be we became relevant to begin with was from Ellen Latham, you know, who created the Orange Theory Workout. She had a vast amount of knowledge and experience in the category. And if you've never heard her story, it's phenomenal. And she's but, your um, founder. She's our founder. And yeah. um, her, um, Jerome Kern and Dave Long, our CEO, the three of them founded Orange Theory in 2010. But they had met her. She had been in the industry for years and years before, and she got fired from her job and, and you know, in the wellness space. And she said, you know what, I'm going to make a go of this. But she had taken all of her knowledge, all the science. She's obsessive researcher, obsessive studying, you know, what it is that's going to make people get what will help them get results. And um, she created the Orange Day Workout and people started going nuts about um, the success they were receiving. Uh, it was called Ellen's Ultimate Workout at the very beginning. And it was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And it was the results that really made the difference. You know, So when you look at the vast amount of brands out there and what's relevant, what's irrelevant, usually it's about the, the shiny toy. Like it's a cool bike or it's a cool app or it's a cool this or it's a cool that. It doesn't have the vast amount of science behind it that Orange Theory has invested literally a, more than a decade and decades of Ellen's knowledge and we have a medical advisory board. We have a lot of resources that really continue to advise us. Um, so if we're getting results for people, we'll continue to be relevant. If we lose our way and start offering things that really offer no value to the member and we lose our, our focus, I think that would be a danger. But 
our leadership team is really diligent in making sure that we never lose focus of what we call Sarah, who's our, um, our core target persona that whatever we do, we do it for Sarah. Like, is this going to be the right thing for her? Um, so that's really how we, we maintain relevance. You may need to rename Sarah Claire now. After this I'm thinking it might be Claire. So I will definitely <laughs> uh, take that in consideration. So Kevin, how are you a different leader now than you were when you came in? How have you evolved and changed in five years? Um, well, hopefully I think I'm a bit more mature. And I think when challenges hit you, like we've experienced in the past couple of years, you see people's true colors, right? And um, I think it's been a remarkable test of everybody's patience and poise and class. And uh, I feel like I'm a lot more empathetic. I'm a lot more uh, mature. And I'd say, most importantly, I'm a lot more focused on the role of a chief brand officer today than I've ever been. Say more about that. Well, I think, you know, in the midst of what happened, it really brought to the fore the importance of, of brands and the importance of trust. And how are we going to do what's in the best interest of people? And so a lot of what I do in my role is not limited to advertising, as you and I both well know. You know, the CMO's mm -hmm. role is really, it's gone to the 80s and 90s, you know, where you run campaigns, you know, every moment, you know, like Claire, like she's a living piece of our marketing, but I hate calling it marketing because it's really about maintaining um, advocacy and really trust in our brand. And then if she trusts it, then she'll tell people. So really, you know, my role is really expanded to really collaborate with our chief operating officer, which we've always done and I've always done, but now it's so much more complex. You know, it's really managing complexity and uh, without making it so, you know, getting so caught in the weeds that you lose sight of what we're trying to achieve altogether. Tell us a little bit more about your job, your chief brand officer, you've been in it five years. What do you do, Kevin, day to day? And what's your, your scope? What's your focus? What insights would we get if we looked at your calendar for a few months? <laughs> I'd love to clear my calendar for a few months, but yeah, just I know. To, but um, really, you know, day in, day out, you know, I'm very focused on, on the team and collaboration, but collaboration with a focus. So like, not only do we collaborate with the rest of the company, but what are we, what are we trying to achieve? Um, where, you know, we use metrics very uh, robustly at Orange Theory. And, and since we brought on our chief analytics officer, Amin Kazaruni, he's been with us just over a year now, has built out a really robust data science team. You know, I have a performance marketing capabilities I didn't have a year ago. So I look at the numbers first thing. I have a dashboard that tells me everything I need to know about the business. Um, I look at what are our new join rates? What are our terminations? Um, I look at Listen360, which really gives us a view of, of how our members are uh, our new members are perceiving the experience, where we need to improve, um, have team meetings. I have individual meetings really around key projects, you know, that we have about um, not only for acquisition, but really about the, the membership and how do we maintain um, loyalty and increase our length of stay? How do we um, drive more personalization? And again, always back to relevance. So at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, I think about how relevant are we? I can take a temperature check in the morning to see how we're doing. And at the end of the day, I can look and see. So I think, you know, using data to tell me a story has been honestly, I hate to say it, such a cliche, but it's been a game changer, you know, because it, it really directs my area of focus. Um, but my calendar also, I try and account for some focus time. Um, Fridays, we try and have no new meeting Fridays with the team and for myself as well. I like to use those days to really think and process what we've discussed and worked about, you know, throughout the week. Uh, I'm trying to do more off-site meetings with the agencies, you know, so we don't get stuck in our own world. 
Um, I learned that from Coca-Cola and I spent uh, some years there with P.O. Shunker. He always really taught me not to be a navel gazer and, you know, don't always look inside, you know, bring the outside in to help you as well. So I like to, I like to do that. And I always try to find something to read, you know, that keeps me inspired and makes me a better leader. You, you have some agencies and you spend a lot of time in your career at agencies. So you would have an interesting view on this. You know, how do, how do you see in-house creative versus external partners at Orange Theory? I mean, what's your view on that? What's your strategy? What's your learning for others? Yeah, you know, it's funny because the, the very first in-house agency I worked for was at the Coca-Cola company. Um, and their point of view is, is pretty much maintained with what I believe right now. I believe certain companies really should be in-housing a lot of their uh, core disciplines. You know, search, um, you know, depending on the size, you know, media planning and buying. There's so many, many ways in with technology, especially to be able to in-house that depending on, you know, if it makes economic sense. For us, we really leverage in-house to uh, for member engagement, for member personalization, for um, studio programs, you know, Hell Week and things like that. They conceive a lot of the magic that happens there. So I really keep them focused on on what's going to make the brand experience and create more um, chatter in social media and also create a lot of buzz in the studio. Um, they handle design and and things like that. So I think for me. I see in-house agencies really, um, you know, it used to be kind of a small thing. And obviously we all know now it's, it's really become central to most brands. Um, I started with two people and we've vastly grown that to over 20 people with a, a runway to grow much more even later this year. But um, I feel that creative excellence is still very important to me. And the way we, we leverage that in-house and with our agencies um, is a little bit different. We all, you know, have the same strategy, but I, I lean on my in-house team for people who uh, that I feel like extremely are close to the brand. I mean, they're they're living it day in day out. They go to classes at noon at our corporate office, so they're very close to it. So I really lean on them for that. Uh, really heavy lift technology, kind of big ideas, cultural ideas. I think outside agencies are helpful, um, and the trick is really making sure you're integrating the two of those seamlessly, right? Yeah, that's right. No, no competition, right? Collaboration. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Now, you went from two people to more than 20, and you're still scaling up. Tell us about that. How, what were the most important capabilities you put in first? What's been your learning and scaling up? Is there anything you would do differently if you had to do it again? Gosh, Jim, I do so many things differently. You know? <laughs> I yeah, when we all. Um, but a lot of things, I actually, I nailed it, uh, you know, in a, a few areas. But um, as we scaled up, you know, I, my CEO is the most imaginative and, and innovative leader I've ever worked with. So Dave had a, you know, when I first started, I remember he had a million ideas and all of them were really interesting. And I said, those are all amazing priorities, but I'm going to really focus on just the, the unsexy stuff, you know. I don't want us to get sued. I want to make sure our data privacy is up to snuff. I want to make sure we are ADA compliant. So just basic stabilizing of, you know, doing an audit of a 360 of our, our marketing mm -hmm. programs. So all this stuff that's not really fun, but really, you know, starting with um, building capabilities around strategy. Um, so I brought in some more help um, to help with strategy and globally, you know, looking at that because um, my scope is not just in the U.S. Many people are surprised in the U.S. to know that we're in 26 countries. So my mm -hmm. my scope doesn't end at the Canadian or Mexican border. <laughs> it extends to 25 other countries and growing. Um, so international capabilities and um, technology, marketing technology capabilities. And um, so I kind of scaled that up. And then uh, creatively, so looking at an in-house creative team, so, you know, being based in Boca, it was very difficult. You know, we found some terrific people, but as we continued to grow, you know, we had, we were one of the first to actually really go hybrid, 
you know, not have people on site with us. And that really opened up a world opportunity for us from a, a creative excellence standpoint, as well as giving people, um, giving us more options in terms of the types of people to recruit. So, and my hope as we move forward from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint, we can leverage that, that freedom to hire people, not just within a certain zip code around our office, but really open it up. I think it's going to give us a lot of opportunity to recruit some terrific people. So I'm really excited about that. But, um, you know, as we started, you know, starting from two and scaling up, it was really just basic fundamental strategy, giving me help there, um, operations, marketing operations, studio operations, um, marketing technology, and then creative, you know, kind of in that order, everything else I outsource, but, but we still use our agency, uh, you know, very robustly. They're, they're a big part of our team. They're, they're considered part of the family. Uh, I've been working with them for a number of years, but, um, but our needs are evolving and changing. So we're always looking to upgrade talent within the agency and also work with our agency to make sure that they're in lockstep with our needs. Will you be a hybrid model going forward? We will. So we're, we're, we've basically settled on a Tuesday through Thursday hybrid model. So Monday, Friday is remote. Tuesday through Thursday is in office. And um, we do have, I'd say, 30% of our, our marketing team is remote. So, you know, they work remote permanently and they come to the mm -hmm. office. Um, we're trying to get them to come in quarterly now that we're kind of getting a little bit back into a normal cadence. Um, and I like to host, you know, quarterly fun events for our team to get out and to get to know each other. But it's amazing the chemistry we've had with so many of these people that, you know, we never actually met in person. Um, and we had one that actually decided to move on, you know, about six months ago. And it was really hard. We got really attached to her and she was terrific. But um, but yeah, we're going to stick with the Tuesday through Thursday and, um, you know, also we, we see each other in the studios. So that's kind of fun too. traveling that's around a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have a brand credo that I saw on your LinkedIn profile and I think it's really good. Now, uh, could you tell us why you developed that and you shared that publicly, how you developed it, how you use it? So please give us some insights. And the credo I would recommend to our listeners, go take a look on Kevin's LinkedIn profile. It's really wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it just comes to a belief, you know, you know, we're not egocentrical brand marketers. You know, I believe in the power of we. And as, a, as a leader, I'm, a, I'm what we call just a servant leader. I'm here to make my team successful and the brand successful. So I'm not in it for ego. Um, I actually do these things pretty sparingly. I don't speak a lot. I, I like you and I follow you a lot, Jim. I, I've seen you at A&A and I was really inspired by you. And my team went to Orlando. And so, I, you know, I try Thank and you. use my time and, and be around peers that really feel the same way and, and lead the same way uh, with the same ethos. But the idea that, um, you know, that we're really uh, about a brand, it's about our members. It's about the consumer and really those people are people. They're not consumers. Um, mm -hmm. And when you start thinking of people as humans, and gosh, we could all do this more these days, you know, the way that, you know, we look at the state of the world, but I look at it from an empathetic standpoint. And so marketing is really a, a very light, low, lowercase word to me. The marketing is is the the purpose we bring to the table and how we make that purpose come to life. And it's not consumers, it's people. So, you know, I, I hate all the, the jargon and the, and the lingo that I, the barnacles of stupidity that I've heard over the years that we kind of turn this, you know, industry into a marketing machine and we, all the buzzwords. I try and always keep a really human centric um, lens on every day and not get sucked into, you know, all the, the lingo. So um, a lot of times when I'm in a meeting, I'll try and simplify it. You know, I love to simplify the complex and really get to the heart of the issue. And to me, that's like, what do people need that they don't, they didn't realize they didn't need? And how can we help them with that? 
And how can we be better at doing that? So there is, it means there's blurred lines everywhere, right? And it requires a, an incredible amount of collaboration and trust with my peers uh, to be able to pull that off. Um, it's, it's challenging, but it's definitely what I'm passionate about. Is there any concept in your brand credo, your personal brand credo, that you find difficult to live day in and day out? Um, I'm an eternal optimist, so I'm a glasses overflowing kind of guy. Um, but I think, you know, sometimes I, it, I find it difficult you know, to, to really bring these kind of things for people to the, to the market and for them to experience, you know, it gets technology, marketing and technology are so intertwined now. Um, I wish things could move faster. I wish things could be done, you know, and I, I lose my patience. And I know some of the people who work with me know that sometimes I'm a very easygoing guy, but if I feel like it's a terrific idea, you know, I get so frustrated, you know, because of the, the t- technology you know, limitations and the timelines. I want everything done yesterday because the, you know, the world moves at such a fast pace and the ideas, you know, there's no shortage of great ideas. There's, there's a shortage of focusing on the greatest idea and executing with excellence. So to me, I'm, the, the thing I struggle with the most is really patience. It's kind of a great idea. I'm just, I get overboard and excited about it. Um, so to me, it's just, I move at a fast pace. And so I just kind of expect it when to kind of move along with me. So, yeah, yeah. Now, you've talked about your brand purpose a few times, so we're going to get into that in a little bit more depth now. And I think your brand purpose is about as good as it gets, to help people live longer, more vibrant lives. Wow. That's right. Yeah. So, Kevin, could you go there on the origin of that, how, how that came to be, and what role it has played in your amazing business and organizational growth? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's the... It's the thing I love to talk about the most because I remember when we first started, when I was speaking with you know my leadership team and I met with them one on one, just like anybody would. You know, it's been five years ago now, and just speaking with our the co-founders with Ellen Latham, you know, asking why do we start this? You know, we had a lot of great content about the brand and the origins of the brand that I'd read through, and I was really inspired by it. Um, Ellen had a book out at the time called Push, and I read through that book cover to cover. I remember when I first started. And, uh, and I remember sitting down with Ellen. I said, you know, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this brand and really how are we going to ultimately, you know, market it, I, I, you know, so to speak. But the way I want to market it is really from the heart and with a purpose in mind. And it seems like the purpose you guys developed this brand was about, you know, helping people live a better life and be healthier. Because um, they talked about things like increase your health span, not just your lifespan. I'm like, that sounds great, but that's kind of a medical term. I don't know. <laughs> Um, what could be really inspiring? Like, what are we trying to do? And uh, and, and we talked about it. I said, you know, I feel like it's really about the, not just living a, a, a healthy life, but a vibrant life. You know, I'm about to turn 51 and I don't deal with half the things that I know some of the people who are my age that I grew up with are dealing with health-wise. That doesn't make me special. It just makes me more aware. Um, and I've been very committed to taking care of myself for a long time. So that's just my story. And there are just hundreds of thousands of more stories out there similar to mine um, that really is rooted in this idea of living a vibrant life. So to me, um, we agreed on kind of distilling down a paragraph down to a sentence, which is really like we're here to help people live a longer, more vibrant life. And if it doesn't meet that objective in terms of a new innovation or a new idea, then we don't do it. You know, it's as simple as that. And, you know, in terms of what we do now filters through that moving forward. So um, we have a really cool initiative we're working on really going into what I'll call fitness deserts in cities. So we've all heard of food deserts, grocery deserts. Well, unfortunately and sadly, 
there are fitness deserts in the U.S. So we're piloting a, a program where we're going to do a pop-up Orange Theory studio experience um, in collaboration with a, a, a major national organization that we're going to be announcing soon. And the idea there is really ultimately to not only provide the access to the you know our workout, but to train people to be coaches, ultimately train them to actually own a studio and to run and operate it one day. So to me, that's all about a vibrant life. So the vibrancy is not just in, oh, I'm healthy. I don't have diabetes. I can lift you know, my son. I can go mountain biking in my 50s and 60s. But it's also providing you know, economic opportunity and providing opportunity with the community. So it, was, it served us really well. It's given us really good focus. And from a content standpoint, it's like you said, you know, what could be more amazing than helping people live a long and vibrant life and creating motivation and content around that and experiences that bring that bring that to to life so it's been really exciting and uh very fun i love the initiative in the fitness deserts that's 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 a wonderful insight so i'll be following that kevin good luck on it thank you yeah very uh very excited about it um dave is extremely passionate about that as is as am i and our team so um it's coming very soon so stay tuned on that one now tell us a bit more about what you've learned about activating this purpose you have lots of franchisees your experience. I've been to several of your your studios. It's pretty consistent. So how do you bring that purpose to life with your extended, you know, partners, your franchisees? How do you be sure your 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 uh, members, you know, know this is what you're about? And how do you know you're making progress with it? That's great. A great question. Because, um, well, first of all, you know, we it's back to that point about a franchise brand. Like, how do you get everybody to really galvanize around one thing? And, and I think the idea that the creative platform we created was more life. You know, what you do in our Orange Theory studios gives you more life outside of our studios. It's a simple premise. That was just a shorthand campaign uh, expression of helping people live a longer, vibrant life. So we did an internal communication around that at our convention. We announced it. People went wild. They were really excited about it. It really resonated with them. Because, Jim, many of our owners actually bought into Orange Theory because something happened in their life that made them passionate about this particular brand and the, what we actually do for people. So, um, you know, I'm thinking of Ann Randall in Colorado. There are many owners out there that, that bought into this with not only, a, you know, an economic purpose, but really, ultimately, they're really getting into it for the purpose around helping people achieve a, a longer, more vibrant life, give them more life. So that really was the rally that we started with. And we launched our first global campaign back in 2018, really kind of telling the world this. But, but the, you know, it's been a constant education and inspiration process and process. Um, project. It's never done. You know, we built, we created a, I, I produced a um, documentary a couple of years ago called Momentum Shift. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you know, it's free. It's on Amazon Prime. Or you can go to YouTube. It's just a 30 minute short story about the brand and its impact on people. Um, Ellen's in it. And there's some really cool stories about a coach and a member, how they intersect and, and really what, what happened there. And it's, it's a true story. It's, it's, it's based on the brand, but also the true story of, of members. And we're always trying to find stories and ways to tell stories to remind the owners and to remind the staff and the coaches that it's not just class after class after class. Every class is an opportunity to make a difference. Um, and then even as far as um, continuing that, we have a new book. You know, with everything being digital these days, we thought it'd be a good opportunity to create a book. So it's a beautiful coffee table book. We're going to give all of our franchisees and, and staff in the, next, in the next month or so that really illustrates and tells these stories and you can go in it and uh, there's a QR code that can link you back to um, the documentary. So it's, you know, as you can imagine, we're always having new staff come into our studios. So I want to make sure there's always an opportunity for them to first understand what we're all about. 
Anyone who works in our corporate office has to spend time in a studio for a week before they start their job so they can be um, right there in the in the studio experience and understand and not get um, disconnected from day one. It's really important that they understand and be on the front line. So it's a, it's a never-ending process. Well, Claire wanted me to be sure that she did a shout-out to your owner of your studio in Point Loma, San Diego. Okay. Well, you know what? I will she make said this... it's a wonderful studio, wonderful owner, wonderful team. Well, that's fantastic to hear. And tell her I will come work out with her. We're having our 2022 convention in San Diego in September. So if she would be up for it, we'd love to come work she, out with her. So I'll come to the studio. She would definitely be up for it. Yeah. All right. I'll, well, tell I'll, her be, I'll be sure that happens. We're going to put it on the calendar. I'm going to do it. All right, Kevin. Uh, you've talked about your CEO. You've talked about your founder. I want to hear how you work with them now. You know, what kinds of things do you talk to Ellen about? What sorts of things do you talk to David about? Do you have any rituals with David that others could learn from? Yeah, so um, Ellen, it's funny because they are very different conversations and I'm looking to get something very different out of each one. And um, so with Ellen, for example, I speak with her and we talk about, um, she's very fixated on the the coaches and really how can we equip them better? Um, originally, she was really help, helping out and I, I talked to her about the inspiration behind More Life and our brand purpose. And we've done a lot of things, you know, in our weekly meetings to talk about how we can bring that to life more. But now it's really more about how can we, you know, the coaches are really central to delivering that experience. So there are a lot of things we're, we're doing and talking about from a content standpoint that we can help and assist those coaches, um, talk about and inspire their members. So it's not just gaining a following and followers and social media. It's really creating true engagement from coach to member and back and forth. So, you know, it's really how can we create ideas to help encourage that and to give them tools to, to be successful in that. With Dave Long, it's really about, you know, the future of the brand. Um, it's about how do we bring cultural relevancy to the brand and continue to do so. Um, thrilled about an announcement we're making next month. He and I are going to be um, a part of that together uh, amongst other people. It's in the music space uh, with someone very, very, very well known. So that's something I've been working on. So he, he loves things like that. Um, he's very passionate about the future of how wellness and the role orange theory can play in that. So we talk a lot about, um, data and how do we translate data into motivation and how do we continue to uh, personalize that? So he's very passionate about how we're taking all the data. We collect more data as a, as a fitness brand than anyone on earth uh, on behalf of our members. And it tells a story. And so he's really into showing and demonstrating the power of that data to really motivate people because it can really give you a good view of where you're headed. It's not just recording, you know, how, how much exertion you're doing in the studio. It's tracking your heart rate and the progress you're making. And you can tell a story with your resting heart rate. Um, you can tell a story with how your heart rate recovery with VO2 max, all these kind of, you know, weird sounding concepts to the general consumer person out there. But really, it can tell you a very specific, it's a little crystal ball into your health. Um, so he's really keen on how do we tell innovative ways, to, uh, tell stories and content um, about getting that out there in the marketplace and really being a leader as a brand in this space that nobody else has really um, has seemed to crack, you know, like Orange Theory. Uh, he loves that. And he's, you know, he can also talk about, you know, music and fun stuff. Um we always do a lot of stuff every year. We go to Jackson, Wyoming as a team. So he's very much into fitness, as you can imagine, but also getting outside and having fun and experiencing more life, as you, if you will. So um, last or this past year, we went to, um, we climbed Grand Teton Mountain. 
being honest, I did not make it to the very top, but he did with about four other team members. I got three quarters of the way up, but um, yeah, it was, a, it was a fantastic experience. He's asking me if I'm going to do it again this year. So <laughs> is, is it and the answer you? is? Uh, I'm on the fence, uh, but I probably like, like he's very persuasive. So likely, yes. Very good. Kevin, your career path is agency heavy, right? You've spent time at t- six really top flight agencies. What, what in that career path? And I know you spent time at two clients as well, UPS and Coke. What, what, what element of that career path or what job or what role or what time was most defining for you as an evolving leader? Gosh, there's really two moments, I believe, that really changed me. Um, I started in New York City, you know, as you mentioned, it's in big agencies. But um, I think what really changed my passion and like where I felt I was going to go, you know, in this career was when I worked for Lowen Partners um, with P.O. Shunker, who I ultimately came back to work with again at the Coca-Cola company. But it was more of a leadership impact. And his perspective was really... And he was my mentor. He's been my, he and I speak regularly even to this day. But working at Mercedes, I worked on, or sorry, working at Lowen Partners, I worked on the Mercedes Benz account and it was their brand advertising. And back then in the you know, mid 1990s, Mercedes was not a really hip brand. It was like your grandpa's brand, right? Mm-hmm. And they had just you know, redesigned the full line of all of their, their cars. And uh, we launched a, an amazing campaign, but just the, you know, the creativity, you know, from the agency and just that culture was very different than I experienced before. And, and Pio's passion for creative excellence and, you know, how do you actually create a brand and just all the the skills required to really to hone in on what really makes a brand unique and what you can, how you can create an ownable experience around that brand. I learned a lot from him and with that work and it was fantastic work. Um, so that was that was probably the first time I really wanted to get and align myself with brands that really wanted to do great creative, not just in terms of advertising, but just the full spectrum, the design, the, the, the digital experience. Um, so that was number one. The second one was actually working at the Coca-Cola company, again with P.O. Shunker. Um, so you're seeing a theme here. But mm-hmm. um, you know, when he, he asked me to work for him again, I asked him if he was a masochist, or he thought I was a masochist, because working for him was not easy. Um, he had demanding standards. He was exhausting. He and I would argue. Um, but it was always for the right things, usually. You know, and oftentimes I found him to be right. Um, then he also shared a passion for being a great client to our agencies. And at the time, the Coca-Cola company was not known as a very good client to work with from an agency perspective. So we really set to turn that around because um, he would always tell me, you know, clients get the work they deserve, for better or for worse. And so he really set about to helping us be better clients to get better work for our brands. I worked on Coke Zero and Sprite at Coca-Cola. But, um, and we worked with some terrific agencies, but we ended up getting Marketer of the Year in Ad Age in 2012. And a big part of that was the way we actually behaved to our clients, a big turnaround in the change. And we spent a lot of time listening to our agencies, not talking to understand well, how can we be better? What do we do that really annoys you? How do we give you better briefs? How do we um, stop being a barrier to great ideas and be a, an accelerant to great ideas? Um, how do we attract and retain the best talent? You know, all these kind of things were were um, were skills I learned in earnest from PO and being a part of that team. Um, it was just really a, a life changing and career changing experience for me. What's the best advice he ever gave you? Um, the best advice he ever told me, and this is goes against my personality, 
I was born and raised in the South and very, uh, you know, my parents raised me to very merrily gentlemen. Um, so I don't like to hurt people's feelings. I'm, I used to be a people pleaser. A lot of therapy and living in New York took all that away from me. But Peter really <laughs> told me, he said, look, people want to hear the truth. They want you to be direct. So it was after a meeting I had with one of our agencies after they presented a bunch of creative work for us at our world headquarters here in Atlanta. And um, he always would be pretty direct to me, as I mentioned, it was hard. But, um, but he said, people want to know, just give them the honest truth, like what you're thinking. Don't hold back. And he didn't mean to be rude. He meant to be just be honest. And that's back to that theme I keep talking about, about trust, how trust is so important. And so I think I learned a lot about the principle of being honest and trustworthy and, and not being a place where great ideas go to die, being a place where great, idea, great ideas go to be nurtured. And you nurture those through really good feedback and collaboration and um, mutual understanding. So I think just being direct and honest and being that way with my peers, um, I, the agencies we work with, uh, the employees I interact with, you know, it's not easy because I want to be the nice guy, but to get what you need, you got to be direct sometimes. And you don't have to be a jerk about it. You can be very classy and nice, but you can also tell them where they stand, you know? So that was probably the top piece of advice he ever gave me. Great, great advice. And you, mm -hmm. and you've taken it a beautiful way to merge <laughs> it into your personality, really. It has, you know, it, it, he's played a big role in the shaping of my modern day personality and we're all evolving, yeah. but, um, I just think that it's been something that has been a gift to me, both in my career and outside my career, you know, and that confidence to, to be able to share that point of view without feeling, um, you know, second guessing, or I think we all deal with imposter syndrome. You know, we feel like, what do I, do I really know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but, you sure. know, so it's just something that I'm very transparent about, you know, with my own staff, you know. Um, I try, I, I call it the, co the cocoon of Kevin, you know, they can come and talk to me about anything. And, and generally I, I, I feel very passionate about being able to speak honestly and openly within reason, you know, it's with appropriateness. Um, and I think it can really open the door to a lot of great things for, for brands when we are able to behave that way. Kevin, let's move to the creative brief. And my first question is you studied at Cambridge university in the mm -hmm. UK, and you studied literature and international finance. <laughs> Tell us one good personal development story from that experience. Oh, gosh, there are so many. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, and I, I have six kids. I have three stepdaughters and three children of my own with one family. And I've offered them all. I said, look, any of you want to go study abroad for a year overseas, it's on me. I will personally finance that. Anyone. So it's something to me that just the experience of being outside the U.S. was absolutely the biggest change that impacted the, the trajectory of my life and my career. So I'll just put that out there as a commercial to anyone with kids or contemplating college to look for a university with a, an international program. But for me, I think it was just learn. <laughs> there are many stories. First of all, I learned that cider is very alcoholic and, uh, in England, <laughs> and it can get you very drunk very quickly. Um, but, but truthfully, it was really um, the independence, you know, and the just being around a, a very, um, you know, we talk about diversity. I, that university is one of the most diverse you can find. There's people from all over the world there. In any one class, you'll have people speaking, you know, a dozen languages. So I think it's really just the, um, be, you know, I remember I, I had a Saturday night the first time. It was my first Saturday night. I thought, what on earth have I done? You know, I, I don't know anybody really here um, all across the world. And um, a bunch of people from Italy said, hey, I think we're going to go out, you know, from my literature class, we're going to go out and go pub hop hopping. Do you want to come with us? And so, um, of course I said yes, but, um, 
And then we went into London and I, I, I missed my last train back to Cambridge. So I had to basically be a street person all night waiting for the, uh, <laughs> the trains to start up the next morning. So you learn, it's kind of baptism by fire, but, um, uh, it was definitely the most, uh, wonderful experience of my life. And I couldn't recommend it to people more because even in this business, being curious, we always talk about it is so yeah. instrumental. I don't look for people who have a marketing degree or an advertising degree. You know, I typically look for people who have interesting backgrounds that they can draw on experiences from. I love that. You really value creativity. I've seen that in your profile. We've talked a lot about it over the last hour. How do you keep yourself creative, Kevin? Um, you know, being a cultural brand and, and being a, you know, a brand that wants to be part of culture, I, I read voraciously, um, not necessarily just books, but just any kind of content out there that's happening in the world. So I'll try and stay current. Um, I do think it's important to, to be around creative people. So I try and be around people that are inspiring to me that I can learn from and that are interesting. I get bored easily. No surprise. I think everyone in this industry has ADD to some extent. Um, but, yeah, I but I, I, I've learned to channel it. And, um, so I, I love to go to galleries like anybody and, um, spend time, you know, uh, learning about things that I haven't learned about. So, um, I also inspire myself by a lot of the work that we're doing in the industry uh, in Asia. I think they're doing a lot of interesting things. They're always doing things, you know, a little bit ahead of us, you know, especially when it comes to technology. But, um, but at the end of the day, you know, I try and meet interesting people and, and read a ton. At the moment I'm reading, um, uh, Brene Brown, uh, I think it's Dare to Lead. It's about a leadership book. Um, I don't know if you're Brene Brown. Mm -hmm. Dare, Dare to Lead. lead. Um, yeah. So I love her so much because back to us talking about with you know what Pio taught me about confidence and being able to tell people what they you know be, be vulnerable. I think vulnerability is an incredibly powerful creative force, and Brene Brown talks a lot about that. So I'm learning a lot of things in real time. I'm almost finished with this book. Um, I, I don't know Brene. I'm just giving you giving her a book plug. It's been a really inspiring book for me because. Vulnerability is powerful, particularly when it comes to creativity. Kevin, this has been a wonderful chat. You've been very vulnerable. <laughs> Lots of lessons and insights and inspiration in this discussion. So thank you once again for inspiring our listeners and for inspiring me and inspiring my daughter. Uh, well, tell Claire to look out for me. I'm coming in September, okay? Very good. It's been a pleasure, Jim. Thank you. That was my conversation with Kevin Keith. Three takeaways from this one for your brand, business, and life. The first one is... If you're leading a brand, make sure you stay relevant. It doesn't sound like a terribly inspirational kind of headline, but maintaining relevance is key to building a brand over time. Kevin talked about how to avoid being a fad in the fitness industry. It's about offering value, staying close to people, and being relevant. Second takeaway, the power of honesty as a leader. Kevin talked about his difficulty in being direct and honest with people. And when he kind of overcame that, and accepted the vulnerability that underlies that, he became a more effective leader. Being honest and being direct can be done in a kind way. You don't have to be a jerk to be honest. Lots of lessons in this one about honesty. And the last takeaway, the power of a great mentor. We all have the capability and ability to be mentors and mentees. Kevin talked about a leader at Coca-Cola who was such a powerful mentor for him and continues to be a mentor and inspiration to this day. Mentorship is a really powerful concept in business. We all need to embrace it. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, 
leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.